Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to Social Convos. And as you may have noticed, we may have an intervention tonight. Sean, look, what's going on? <laughs> we may or may not have an intervention tonight. So before we go to the intervention, I think there are two topics we can shortly and briefly discuss to kind of get going, and then we'll, we'll move on to the more controversial part of the, of the episode. So I asked around on Facebook and I asked uh, people if there were certain topics they wanted to address. So there were two topics that they wanted to address. One was Meta leaving Europe. So I'm not sure, I haven't gotten the full scoop on what's going uh, on here, but there is a rumor or there was a rumor that they would shut down in Europe. So. I haven't looked into it all too much yet. I've just checked out some Twitter feeds, some news headlines, and I did see it surface every now and then. But the one thing I noticed first actually was before that, you know, that news was their earnings report got revealed from this quarter. And I think for the first time in like forever, their stock market cap price plummeted tremendously. Like. I think they reached a trillion uh, a trillion dollar market market cap at the peak of the you know stock boom market, and it's like it went below six hundred billion, so that's a significant drop for a tech company where you know everything in tech has been rising for the last two years, and I think partially that's with the new changes to one, the rebranding. So I suspect, or I speculate that they're going a new direction and maybe there's a whole shift in the company culture and kind of Facebook as a social media platform is getting kind of being put on the shelves and Meta as the new brand is going a new direction. But the other thing I also think plays a role is Apple, uh, believe it or not. Apple's new privacy policies and features within their devices have had a huge impact on, I think, Facebook's revenue streams and advertising advertising methods. Because it's kind of like <laughs> forced now, or it's it's there's more emphasis on privacy on Apple devices, where Facebook and other platforms can't track user data as publicly anymore, or as you know. Like the but you feel that it's a good thing though? I, I do, I do. It's just the, the trend that has been going on, kind of uh, a lot has depended on that for Facebook, but also businesses that have been shifting online. So it's kind of like a double hit now. So that's, I think that kind of also impacted that performance, yeah, revenue performance over the last quarter, half year. So that, that's mainly what I've kind of gathered around the internet, what's been happening. Uh, how do you feel about it, Diego? How do you feel about Facebook's centralized dominance? Is it a good thing that it's slowly shifting away? Is it a bad thing that it's sh slowly shifting away? Good and bad is, you know, uh, a matter of perspective, but from this point of view with all the privacy controversies, I think it's a more good thing that it's kind of, uh, people are getting more control or, you know, it's less intrusive to the individual. 
and that is getting more, yeah, they're being removed or lessened from a position of power. Having all that data superior into one company, one individual or a, a small board of individuals can easily go towards a kind of a tech domination or, you know, world domination, if you want to go the grim route of an apocalyptic end. So having, it, it has been easy though. Like, like I, you know, you know, my you, all, you always have the tra trade off from, but it has been really easy. I mean, it's, it just hasn't, it hasn't just been easy for companies. Like it's like, okay, I'm just on Facebook and I can reach about everybody, but not only from that perspective, also for the perspective of people. Like there hasn't been a platform before where you could as easily have a voice as, as Facebook, like a lot of people got their voice through Facebook and say for some reason it becomes decentralized, say for a reason from now on, every month, tens of thousands of people leave Facebook and Suriname and, and, and millions all over the world. And all of a sudden. There's no one platform where you can go to where everyone is. Like all of a sudden they're like four or five separate platforms. Each has, well, each has its own niche. What was there? There's ever? no one platform that everybody's there. It, it, it was Facebook a few years ago, but I, that decline has already started to happen. If you're looking back at the generations, we've, we've talked, uh, you know, the, the millennial, millennial talk. The, the younger generations are not on Facebook anymore. Yeah. So for them, it's not that big of an issue. It's, it's more an issue a little bit for us and Gen and Gen X, but also the boomers who just got to Facebook basically. But also the companies that are now catching on and specifically locally, I'd say, because a lot of business is being done through Facebook's marketplace too. Yeah, no. definitely, definitely. So, so that keeps up. So basically there's a market, there's a demand and supply kind of thing where people will continue using it as, as long as it's. The but how long do you think it will last? Cause as the newer generation, cause there is no, the, the influx of new users is like degrading. It's less than the people, you know, uh, migrating to other platforms. So at it's a certain not point. not going you, that fast though. How many years are you still projecting? So here's, here's one of the things that happened, like before COVID, like the, the, the three years before COVID, we already saw that for instance, teenagers in Suriname, like 10 years ago, Suriname had one of the percentual wise, one of the biggest Facebook populations under the age of 18 in Suriname. We had like 16% of all Facebook users was, was under age back in 2000, I think 13 or something. And then it slowly started to diminish. And then when I picked up studying the statistics again, I think in 2016, 17, 18, 19, there was a continuous drop off. Like teenagers were saying like, Facebook, we don't, we don't care about Facebook anymore. Like it was, these, these numbers were significant and it wasn't just Facebook. It was even Instagram that we were like, wait a minute. So where are, where are these teenagers going? And they of course found other platforms. They found Snapchat. In a certain stage, they found in the TikTok, even some of them on Twitter. And then the interesting thing was that due to COVID, COVID created a rise for Instagram because people that were kind of like, eh, 
Oh, they search for something. So of course, TikTok had the most providence right now when it comes to COVID and entertainment, but Instagram was always, Instagram was kind of like slowly, I wouldn't say dying off, but for certain age groups, it wasn't as interesting anymore as it used to be. And that kind of changed due to COVID. And also with Facebook, Facebook wasn't growing anymore at a certain point. We were stuck. We were stuck around 330,000 accounts for quite some time. And those are accounts, not people, but still. And then when you look at currently, it's not like that's heavily, heavily declining, but also the active use is actually declining and the way people use it as well. I mean, slowly you start getting the hang of it. So more and more people are like, I'm not posting public anymore. I'm posting for a certain group. So let me ask, when is the last time Back in the 2010s, 2011, 12, you know, people easily shared something that, you know, happened or something. When was the last time you or and, and in your close circle just posted something like back then on Facebook to share to your friends and family something you've achieved aside from, you know, showing what I just see now are maybe like milestones, you, you, you graduated or something from someone randomly I haven't seen in my feed for six years, six months or a year. That's the only post I see every now and then. Let me help you out a little bit because you could be right, but there could be something else as well. So you know how the algorithm of Facebook works, right? How is it now? The algorithm is kind of the same as it was before. The algorithm of Facebook looks at two things. One, the quality of the post, and that's the perceived quality of the post. So let's say you post something and within the first three minutes, you get interaction on it. Facebook will push it out. If you post something and within the first three minutes, you don't get any interaction on it and it kind of dies down the post. And then it dies off a little bit more. And if it doesn't get any shares, it's, it's done. Sometimes you have posts that like three people respond to it. And then you have other posts where over a hundred people respond to it, which is a post that within a three, first three, five minutes, people interacted with it and it gains interaction because it's, it scores well. And then continuing in that trajectory. Of, of the algorithm. It also looks at who shared the post, what kind of comments. So is it just tagging somebody or is it actually a comment that is a full written sentence that weighs higher as well? And then when kind of the hype dies down from that Facebook post, it also looks at if somebody sees that post like six hours later or the next day or three days after that, and it's still, and that person still interacts with that post, that qualifies it as a good post for Facebook and it, it gets shown. And that's one side of it. And then you have the second side of, of the algorithm, which is Facebook shows your posts to people that inter you are interacted with a lot or they interact with you a lot. So say for instance, I'm very active on Facebook. I post, I comment on like 20 people's posts a day. If I comment on 20 posts, people's posts a day, and I post something, those 20 people who I posted, yeah, they'll, 
have a higher chance on. of seeing it. They have a very much higher chance of seeing it. Facebook will say like, you've interacted with this person. Look at what this person is posting. So from that perspective, so those two are very important. So when you look at your current newsfeed and somebody posts something, which is just something regular, something which is not out of the ordinary, it's not flexing, it's not, it's just a regular post that we used to see five years ago. It could be that Facebook says, yeah, but this post post isn't performing well, so I'm not going to show it to Diego. But it also could be because you haven't interacted with that person in quite some time. That's the reason why you're not seeing that post. So maybe people are actually still posting those things, but they don't get seen because if somebody posts a meme, that goes viral. If somebody posts something which is funny, that goes viral, which doesn't mean like the post can be seen. For me personally, it's an interesting thing. I kind of know the mechanics already of what kind of posts that I have to put on my personal profile for it to get 20 plus shares. So if I post a, 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 a very thoughtful text in which I deliberate something or I talk about an important question, uh, without any video or visual on it, oh, it gets, it gets, it gets. Yeah, it, it gets the engagement. It gets, it gets a lot of engagement. If I post, if I share a post, like I find something interesting and I share that post, it gets zero engagement. And yeah, that's, that's something that just happens. You get zero engagement and that happens with everybody. And then there are people that post nine times a day. So it doesn't matter if two posts kind of shoot blanks because they still have those five posts that get over a hundred engagements. So then it, it, it doesn't matter. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. But so, continuing on, 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 on the, so, but the real thing is like, I'm, I'm not, I'm trying to figure out the link with the privacy and, 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 and why Europe would, or why Meta would leave Europe. I, I think it's a bit far-fetched to be honest. Yeah, definitely. The, the, the privacy thing, uh, with Europe, with the European Union has not only been about Facebook, like in, in the past few years, even Google and the, the other big tech companies have come under scrutiny with the privacy. So. I think the other side of the coin is, you know, the, the stricter laws and uh, regulations that they have there around, you know, identity and information. And that kind of clashes with the, the other West, the, the United States. The United States. Ba yeah. Basically the United free, States. Speech kind of things, but not really freedom of speech on, on Facebook, but realistically, I mean, I, I, I don't. I, I doubt it, it will happen because it's, it's too much of a, even with the decline, it's too much of a use case for the average person to be happening in the short term. And by the time it might happen, Facebook may have already pivoted into or meta, let's call it meta now into something completely different. And people have, you know, adopted that trend. Even if they migrate away from Facebook as a platform, they're still Instagram and other kind of Facebook owned entities that people interact with without them knowing about it. So it's, it's a tricky situation. So, and for something to like that on that scale to be forced through, it's gonna take a while. And while that happens, it's like a smoke screen and then something else happens in the background. So I don't see that so, social media space going away anytime no, soon. No. No, I think there could be regulation changes, but I mean, it's not going, it's, it's, it's for them, it would mean like, it's that, like you, your platform is gone. They would never do that. You'd 
you'd need an iron hammer like China if, if you want to push that. Yeah, through. but that's, that's not going to happen. So basically, no, Meta is not leaving Europe, or at least Facebook as a platform is not leaving Europe. And if they do, it could be very well, especially also Instagram, it could be very well the end of an, an era. It's kind of immediately over if they, if they pull the plug like that. Then we'll move on to like to the next topic, which is Joe Rogan and Spotify. Yeah. Another topic that I'm like, wait, like, the, what are we? The rumble offer. Yeah. And that freedom of speech because was it 2020 that uh, he got the offer from Spotify for Spotify's exclusive deal that he moved every, all of his content over to Spotify for exclusivity. And I'm not sure how much Spotify restricted him because the, the reason Joe Rogan's uh, podcast kind of rose really quickly was one, his personality, his, his way of approaching controversial topics. And yeah. the, the people he got on, especially the controversial guests with different perspectives. And if you look at the data, he's been crushing it with the listeners. Basically, Joe Rogan has by far surpassed mainstream. It's, it's insane. It's, the, it's insane. You, I mean, there was a chart, I think his listens or, you know, the people who consume his content was like five or six times more than the highest traditional mainstream media. Uh, in the States, like Fox yeah. News and those types of yeah. media. It's, 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 they, I mean, he controls the narrative. Uh, Felix PewDiePie on YouTube controls the narrative. They kind of control the narrative. And, and, and of course, Joe Rogan is a little bit more persuasive. He also said recently that it shouldn't only be guests that have controversial insights from one side, because that's, that's also kind of the thing now that he has too many guests that are like leading for, for like almost extremists and a lot of anti-facts, but never really somebody from the other side as, as a guest. Basically the main reason for that is I think it, it will be a little bit more boring. So you have to find a guest, which is articulate and is also thoughtful of the method and also can, can come with a scientific, scientific based facts, which is really hard to find like true scientists, most of the time they don't want to go on these kind of shows, you know, it's, it's like not catered for them. And I think that's brings one of the issues. The second issue is, uh, a certain word that he uses quite often. And I think it could be a, taken a little bit of out of context because when he uses the word, he doesn't use it necessarily to point towards a group, but more to actually display what's being said. So it's not like his words that he's using that word to describe a certain group, but more like that he's talking about how that group is being described. I'm not. This is the end word. This the okay. End. So basically people have been like analyzing his, 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 his podcast to see like in what context did he use it? Did he call somebody out the N word or was he just saying like, people say this about the N-word. So there's kind of this. I feel like the, if you get that, you know, mainstream popular, every little thing you do and say is go gonna be put under a magnifying glass. So I'm not sure how much of that, you know, is, yeah, it's, it's really necessary, but yeah, if, if you, if you talk about a lot of controversial stuff, have a lot of controversial people, 
and people start noticing a trend. I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion on that matter. But the, the matter of the fact is that he reaches tens of millions of people daily, weekly through his medium. And this brings us back to the power of centralization, <laughs> the, the, this parallel with Facebook and all that power within one organization, in this case, one personality. So is this healthy? Is this something that should happen? Do you think that should Joe Rogan detain all this, you know, this mainstream influence to sway culture? So we, we recently had a guest who said like something similar with Musk. So it's, it's, it's a very interesting thought provoking topic because it's one of the things that scares the, the living hell out of me, basically. I wouldn't want that kind of attention. I mean, I'm fine with a hundred people listening, listening in. I'm fine with those. Okay, you, you won't want that attention, but that attention being on someone else, like Joe, for example, how much does a personal personality like that influence you as an individual? And if you compare it to your broader circles. Sorry, you have to go and repeat that because I, I kind of missed half of Yeah. That. So you mentioned you won't want to be in that position, right? To have, you know, that attention and all else on you, kind of that power and responsibility. But on the flip side, if you look at yourself as a consumer, as a listener of, you know, the media, you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, how much does that information that he shares impact you and how much do you take with you? So that's, that's the difference. That's the difference. Because if, if you take Joe Rogan, if you take Gary Vaynerchuk, I don't regularly consume their content. So, but that's also because I don't need it all the time. I'm interested if I need to see if there's a certain perspective that's different from mine. If I need validation for a certain thought, then I would, I would step up and go to, to listen. But I'm not a big junkie that I would go three hours straight to listen into it. And, and that's also for me, the other way around, I don't want to have the responsibility of having to cater to a very extremely large audience because you have to be on all the time. And what happens when you're on all the time, you start searching for giving the people what they want. And but guess you definitely get lost. In is, is he catering to the audience I, or is he just still he, doing? No, but it's not something it's, it's people have to understand it about this, about, about personality at a certain point, it becomes unconscious. Like because of the last thousand guests Joe Rogan has had on his podcast, it's one of the reasons he's popular. It's one of the reasons he's continuously growing, but also to switch that to move away from the narratives and the type of guests that he's having to tackle a bigger problem, it will be very hard because the people that are listening in are not looking for that. The same thing with Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg gets a lot of heat for decisions that he makes now because those decisions really impact a lot of people mentally and negatively. But it's not like he can quickly switch that and move away from the trajectory that he has been on for the past five years because yeah, that's people have something been people want to, either. Yeah. They have been conditioned to expect a certain yeah. set of. Uh, so, 
and and maybe Joe Rogan hasn't consciously conditioned his his audience, but if we're talking about like his real audience, like people that tune in every show, I mean, people that have the time or take the time or find the time to listen up to, I think around 10 hours of content a week. I mean, that's a lot of content to consume. And the question that I would ask myself in such a case, if I consume three Joe Rogan videos a week, I'm really starting to consider like, I'm not being productive with my life at the moment. And that doesn't mean that I don't occasionally listen three hours of Joe Rogan with Nafal, just for me to kind of reboot or to restrap and to get a little bit of thought going for myself. But if you watch 10 hours from one creator a week on yeah, YouTube. That, 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 that. The, the, the way I consume, I'd say this type of media to get to know, you know, what's happening around the world is basically there are certain people I follow and certain guests. And then I follow that same guest on different platforms and that, that cross pollinates, uh, to, okay, one other interesting person, but that slowly grows. It's not one personality that I keep listening to it, the, the pool slowly grows. And that's kind of how I consume it. And the way also to validate that is you hear them answer the same things with different guests to see if they're consistent or not in their beliefs and, you know, views. But most so of the cases they are, right? Yeah. And he, he, you, you, can already, it, you can already expect what they're going to answer with that. And it's just every now and then that you see, that's where you start to notice like how good the interviewer is or the, the person doing the interview on extracting something new or valuable for the audience. So that's kind of the main way I consume. And it's usually just clips or if it's a certain topic, uh, often they can different, often they can diversify because that sure. certain topic is their stick. So they have mm -hmm. like a course build around it that you can buy somewhere or a book that talks about that topic. So that's also one of the things that, that kills it off for me is like, it's like you have a too much repetition. No, it's not necessarily too much repetition. I, I don't, I actually admire that. I mean, yeah. these people at least have a message. I don't have a message and that's something that I'm quite interested to talk about today because these people have a message and they have a, they, a vision and a goal for themselves on what the message is that they want to get across when they're a guest on, on any show. And I think that's actually a good idea. So, but the, the, the issue with it is that uh, it comes repetitive and that's not an issue for somebody who needs that in their life and kind of they pull through because don't, don't misunderstand there are like thousands of people that listen to those kind of programs and they're like yes this is what i needed but then you get to the question like what if at a certain point somebody like joe rogan kind of becomes the fox or the cnn of the world and kind of if they lose sight of what's what's important yeah to the, them, the, the influence that uh, they have at scale yeah it's, it's, it's which is bigger which is bigger than an actual media news outlet. That's, that's just, that's thing. scary. Yeah. But you mentioned, we mentioned an intervention at the beginning. Is this, uh, I still can't, you know, piece it together. Are we leading into that? 
with uh, the stuff. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. For me, the intervention is is more for myself, but you will recognize some of it. So for those who are watching live or, or listening in to the recording, over the past two, three weeks, Diego and I hit a couple of bumps, like personal bumps. And while yours is definitely more life-defining than mine, or at least has more impact for, for mine. Mine is a really minor, minor bump in the road, but emotionally it, it got to be more than it should have gotten. And then you kind of reevaluate what you want to do and how you're going to approach things. So for me, the main question, what I want to discuss today is like, once you're into the intervention saying like, okay, something drastically has to change, or at least you have to think about a sort of new beginning in some way. How do you bounce back? And the reason I bring this up is because one of the books that I feel gives the most guidance to this is actually Atomic Habits, which you've read from front to back, which I've only skimmed through and, and read some So what I basically wanted to do today is say, for instance, let somebody, somebody's in a rut for saying like, Hey, you wanted to start off 2020, like this awesome year. And then you make all these goals and, and, and set all these ambitions for yourself. You start off successfully in, in January and all of a sudden you're in February and there's kind of nothing left. And how do you pick up back? So also for people that have had a, a misstep or just they had a fallback, it didn't go quite as they planned. How do they kind of get back up? To, to get started again and what are things to really look into. So I would kind of want to dissect the book like bit by bit and talk about these different things that he talks about. So I don't have the book at hand to reference, but I'll try to recall from memory what, uh, what I could still get. I, I think I lent it out to somebody. I hope they already read through it, but to bring back the point, yeah, we had some bumps in the road and for me. I've kind of was already pre-mentally prepared that something like that might happen. And I think that's something I've been consciously doing over the past year a bit, or I've been doing it more consciously. Before we talk about, you know, atomic habits, one thing that kind of stuck from Tim Ferriss, one of his TED talks was fear shedding. Like imagine the worst possible situation that the worst possible outcome and think about what then and would you be all right with it? Are you still in a good position? And if you, you know, still healthy, it doesn't impact you then good. So I've kind of took this, you know, um, first internalize it myself as in expect the worst, but prepare for the best. So that's kind of my approach to approaching some new unknown things, or if I expect there's something to be a challenge. Okay. That's a lot of different from my expect everything, prepare for nothing kind of approach. <laughs> yeah. So kind of that, that fear setting kind of alleviates all that. I, I won't say all the anxiety, but it definitely suppresses or, you know, erase some of it. So it, I was surprised too at how fast I bounced back from it. The first time took a bit longer, but. As I was, you know, trying it again and my frame of reference was already, okay, that could happen. 
And then I was also already thinking of alternatives. And maybe another thing that helps me with that is, I'm not sure if you, you're familiar with Jocko, uh, Jocko Willink. It's also ex-Navy SEAL. And he also has a podcast. Haven't listened to his content in a few years now, but the one thing that really caught me there in, you know, framing bad situations is he often mentioned examples when, okay, you didn't get that job or something. The one thing you answer with is good. Something bad happened, you say, good. Now you can focus on this. And those are the two things that kind of helped me bounce back from ruts over the past few years. And then if you transition to Atomic's habits to build up that kind of uh, self-esteem and habit to, you know, be more productive or try something new, what plays for me, at least uh, what plays a role there is coming to a place of boredom and then you try something new or fill it okay, in. Okay, with... explain the place of boredom. I'm not sure I quite understand that. So I, I, I told you the most practical example I can give is last year, you know, beginning last year, forecasts are great. And then the last few months it fell off. I hadn't been working out as much. And I've actually started picking it up again like a few weeks ago. And this isn't a new year's resolution thing. It was just, I was done with projects that I had to do. And it was between the gap as in I had, I was done with the project and the, the new stuff has, hadn't started yet. So there was a, a, okay. a period okay. of having nothing to do or ex access. Pick something up. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then the regular life kicks back in. How do you keep going? I try to create triggers and uh, the atomic habit talks about this create triggers to encourage that activity. So one practical example with the workout things, for example, is every day or every morning, as soon as I go to the fridge, I have, you know, uh, a, a bottle that I fill with a specific drink or shake and it's there. And because I encounter it when I go in the kitchen, I see it, I know I have to consume it. So that's the trigger to reinforce the habit. And that's, uh, that triggers me to then do the workout and then consume it. And for the next day, prepare it already and put it back there. So every time I open the fridge, I see it. So like that, you create triggers. For the past three weeks or also, I've read like, I think two books, which I, I haven't read in a few months, but in the last few weeks, I've read two books from start to end. And how I did manage that is I actually put the book next to my, on my bed, on the pillow, and it's right there. So it's, if it's either at night before I go to sleep, I either pick up a few pages or early in the morning before I get out of bed, it's right there. It's in front of you. And that's the trigger to reinforce that kind of uh, habit. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to take, continue on that, but for people that are listening and not familiar with James Clear. So James Clear is somebody who's kind of like, I wouldn't just call him productivity, but he's a, he's a thinker who thinks on different ways on becoming more effective. 
So basically, if we had to summarize the book in like three sentences, it's basically comes down to real change comes from compound effects of hundreds of small decisions or habits that kind of accumulate over time. And it's not like this one mega change in your life that happens and then it, it's there. And then to achieve the goals, you kind of have to first build a system of single processes and habits to, to, to create your goals. So just like you just described, you need those triggers. Yeah, the emphasis is, is on systems. So I'm yes. glad you brought up that word. It's and, system yeah. that you can fall into. And then habits are compound interests of self-improvement. It's the good and bad things that we do each and every day that compound over the time to create real change. And this is where it gets interesting because I want to jump back to something you just mentioned. And one of those things you just mentioned is that you have the trigger, but for you, the trigger is actually you talk about a positive side and like what you have to do to get it done. And then a lot of us, including myself, actually, we haven't shaped the environment. So our environment negatively impacts us towards our goals. Like you have yeah, to, have, your, your surroundings, you have to create the surroundings that you're able to do what you want to do. And a great way that he plays array around with it, which I do actually use is taking a negative habit or some a habit that, that you want to get rid of and connecting it to a positive, positive habit. Mm. So for instance, an example that I would have is I would come home too tired to actually hop out at home, whether it's doing the laundry or helping with the dishes or some cleaning up the house, those kind of things. So, and he also says that. You have to create sp spaces within your home. And if a certain space is a space for relaxation and entertainment, there's no, it makes no sense to go there to become productive. You're, you're not going to go there. So if this show is over, this, this is a great example. If this show is over and I take my laptop, I move out of the office, I take my laptop and I go on the couch, it's over for the rest of the night. I'm going to consume content on the couch because for me, the couch is a place where I relax on wine. So that's recognizing those environments and understanding that you can put yourself in an environment, which is for relaxation and expect uh, to say like, yeah, I'm going to be productive because it's not going to work. So that's one of the things. And then the second thing is of course, creating like a trigger for yourself. Like if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to go home and I'm going to before I put my head on the couch and I lay down on the couch, I at least have to fold or do a, a fold the laundry or do a quick wash or wash the dishes or clean something up. And once you actually take that step to cleaning something up or doing one of your chores, it automatically takes away the need for actually going to lie down on the couch, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's kind of this, this, this habit line, this habit threshold that you need to surpass. If you're talking about shaping environment and also if I'm looked directly at a negative example for me, most would think that, you know, my workstation here is where I'm the most productive, where I'm the most focused is actually the place where I'm the least focused because, you know, the PC has everything. It has my video games. It has Twitter on, it has you know, social media, 
everything is on there. If I really, really need to focus on something to work, I actually take my laptop. I move away from my main desk. I take my laptop and I either go sit on the couch somewhere that is not this usual office space. And that is pure for focus and, you know, coming up with a concept, etc. And then if I actually have the idea, the thinking done, and it's actually execution, like maybe designing something, then I come back to this and then I can just do that and have other stuff in the background happening. And you might say you could also put in plugins for your PC, lock all those things. I tried, it doesn't work. Physically moving to a different space kind of resets and recalibrates you. And that helps for me at least in the, as environments. What would you recommend for somebody who doesn't have a space at home where they can work? So like if, they, if, they if try different spaces, but they couldn't find a place where they stay concentrated. So I think if, yeah, I've kind of have room to spare here, but I'd say if you have a small space, maybe just your room. And this is probably something I have to do too, is organize the room, even if it's a small space, but you know, the, the book there, put the workout mat in that specific corner, make sure you have good lighting, the window. So what, what I did actually in my room, I have these blinds that you can shift right from the, the side blinds. So what I did now to get up or to try and wake up earlier is a tiny adjustment instead of closing the blinds all the way. I close them at an angle that when the sun comes up, the light rays come straight on my face. And in the past, I would just close the blinds completely. So that's kind of an external force triggering and shaping the environment to help you in certain ways. I have an external force as well. They're called children. <laughs> <laughs> so I, but, I think yeah, that's also an issue. If, if you have a small space. Yeah. That, that's where you got to be, start getting creative. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's difficult as well. And it's also, and that's why the main motivation is important. There, there has to be a trigger and the trigger has to be, it has to be worthwhile if I'm saying it correctly. Yeah. If, and, if, if I'm thinking back on how the, the term he uses, there, there's a reward, like a, an immediate short reward. That's just enough to keep you going but also a delayed bigger goal reward that you look forward to. So it, it's a, a two-way street. You need that time. So what's the reinforcement? So what's reward. the reward for getting up early? Actually, there, there is none at the moment, aside from getting the workout done earlier <laughs> and getting that over with. Yeah. So, and so that, that's also for me, like the biggest fight, if I decide to like get up or half an hour earlier, what's, what's the reward? And the reward is there, you know, the reward is there, but at the moment it's not, you don't feel like that reward is worth it or big enough that you should actually change your routine. For me right now, it's sticks and stone. I have to be clear. I have to pay a fee if my children get late at, at the daycare, not if they, if they late at school. Well, if they're late on, if my daughter's late for school th over three times a month, then I do have to pay a fee. But at the daycare, the fee starts right away and it's quite a hefty fee. It, it works. So that's not a reward. That's uh it's a sticks and stones. It's, yeah. it's punishment. It's just punishment. 
So, and then there are also degrees of, of punishment because it, it really depends on my children. If, if they wake up early and I wake up early, just like, there's no issue. So it, it would you say keep a lot of your new routines around your children, basically? Yeah. Always like before the were my children was my wife before that it was my dad. That's why studying was such a big struggle because I had, didn't have an external motivation or incentive to get out of bed in the morning. It's it, of course it goes all the way around because my children are this some, sometimes have the same, my son has the same thing that I am. Like he will get up on Saturday at six o'clock in the morning and we'll be when like, I want to do something. And then during weekdays, it's like, he won't get out of bed. So I'm getting payback from when I was a child, what I did to my friends. So it's, it's all this, but it, it makes it fun. And the thing about with kids is it, it's not a burden as much. It's part of their upbringing is, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not for me. It's not a burden. I, I mean, I get mad with them, but I'm not really mad. I'm just trying to help them understand the concept of time. So they don't have the struggles, same struggles that I have. But mm, is it then that you're looking for that internal force now or yeah, something? Yeah, I'm done with the external force. So, so here's, here's the situation. So for most people that don't, that don't know me, I've always been motivated by external motivation. I perform at my best when somebody tells me I cannot do something or people don't believe. And then you get to a certain conference zone when everybody around you is like, you because they've seen you do it in the past. You've performed. Okay. It's a, it's a given. Yeah, that yeah. Can... So, so they're like, okay, you're going to do it. And then I'm like, ah, and then I don't have the external motivation that I need what I would have usually, but here's the interesting thing. It, it, it wasn't like that, but at a certain point you create a life where it's perfectly balanced in the sense that you don't have to deal with naysayers anymore. So that's kind of the curse. If you build kind of for yourself, the way you want to live at a certain point, if, if you succeed in finding the way you want to live, then at a certain point, you get to a certain fulfillment that you need something else. And in some cases, that something else is getting more into your philosophical side that you decide to go to do Taoism. And then, but then also there's kind of this external motivation again, to do something back for the community. And that's basically where I'm at now that I feel it's like doing I'm, something I'm, I'm, back, it's yeah, doing something back for the community and external motivation or in, is it a, a more a personal fulfillment? Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't psychologically gone through that process of finding that out. It might be the case that because I'm an only child that I seek either validation or want to help somebody else or want others to be part of it as well. But I haven't figured out, of course I'm doing it for myself, but again, you don't have to, but if you don't, you isolate yourself a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Well, well, where's that urge coming from actually? Yeah. And so I think for me, it's like, and that's what I felt with COVID for the past two years. I've been really into myself as in developing myself to be at a state of mind that I feel comfortable with everything, but then you feel neglection, but also you feel now that kind of things are back picking up and you start helping people out again. I miss that. 
Yeah, because the biggest the biggest reward for me is somebody coming to me and saying like, "Hey, I did it," or "It was a success," and me being part of that, helping out. So it doesn't have to be me being the primary motivator. Mm -mm. It doesn't have to be. It could be that I took only a really smart part. But there was the a journey. sliver of contribution. But it was, yeah, there was something that I felt that I helped out, or at least I was involved in the process. And for me, that's, that's, it, it's more satisfying for me to see somebody that I know I helped put a spark that they succeed, that, that I actually succeed because for me, I'm actually quite satisfied. Yeah. This is the, the point where I think I'm not sure I'm at that point yet or where that point will come for me. So there's not much I would be able to comment on, at least on the part of motivation side, the, the, the default thing I've reset to if you know i'm kind of lost or trying to find my way or look for reason to do something is take a step back and uh, i used to do it by going out to the interior for a, a few days and just you know reset but finding those moments of boredom kind of has been my default now like that I don't need to go to the interior or something, just try to have nothing to do. And this kind of goes into meditation and with kind of empty everything and then yeah. find that spark thing. So I, I've kind of linked those, uh, two a bit, but that has kind of been a default for me. It, it's not a wonder formula, but it, it. It helped. Yeah. The problem, the problem things. for me, the problem for me, why that wouldn't work with me personally is I'm a bit of an everything or nothing guy. So when I put my foot back off the gas pedal, I, I release the gas pedal. I go to zero quite quickly. Like it's like full gas or just nothing. And I could just yeah. like sleep for two days and then it's like, okay. And then I want to go, go back. So it's, I think it's a good, good idea to see like, where do you find your, your rest, especially your mental rest as well. And I do have some ideas and I do already think that I know which direction I want to go. And the thing is, I also need to have like one specific goal that okay. I can connect everything with. I think that's also a problem. So question is the commitment to this show an external motivator or an internal motivator for you? It's pretty much an external motivator. And that's kind of how you've been operating, as you just mentioned, the, the, the for the majority of things. Yeah. So I, I build systems. So it's kind of, it's funny because I don't build systems necessarily for myself, but I build systems, kind of support systems all over to make sure that I, I just keep going. Even if I'm at my worst, I still continue to go. And that's also where I'm now, even in business, like my team is not letting go. Like they're like, this has to be done. This has to be done. So basically my weakest, I'm swamped. Like there's a lot to do, but at the same time, it's not, and, and I'm happy that I have the luxury that I have clients that I get excited about. 
So when I actually have to do work, client work, it's not like, ah, oh, this is a task I don't want to do. It's actually something like, yeah, let's yeah, do yeah. it. It's fun. But also in those tasks, there often are tasks that I postpone a lot and other tasks that I just want to pick up instantly. And it's also that if you've done four to six major tasks in a day, you're done for the day. You just don't have energy anymore. Oh, I, I just did two. I can do max three. Yeah. But again, that's where I trade myself to do 10. And then at a certain point, you know, you can do six and then you end up doing six a day. And that's also where the limit is, because if you go and do 10 for a week, you burn out quite quickly. And then for three, four days, you're like done. And you're saying, you're just like, that happened to me before. For instance, I had weeks that I just went, like I had weeks that I completed 60 tasks in a week. So that's the thing where and then, it's different for everybody, right? But you they gotta... have to understand what happens. If I do 60 tasks in a week, there will be, and this is because when you're a business owner, you kind of, you can default and say like, you call into the office and like, today nothing's happening. But if you go to 60 tasks in a week, that next Tuesday or Wednesday, you're just going to melt down. You're just going to call off everything and you're going to go back to bed and you're not going to do anything for a day. So that doesn't work either. It's, it's kind of, you're fooling yourself there. So that's not the solution either. Well, isn't that more aligned with your personality as in going to 100 quick and then yeah, going to that zero? Yeah, but it's, it's not sustainable. Like, and, and that's also something when you're young, when you're in your twenties, you got that energy, you got that energy. And also it doesn't matter. You don't have to have consistency, but now you actually do prefer consistency because the, 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 the fast going to hundred and, and burning and then it's not, you don't build habits that coming back to the slow growth and uh, compounding of little. So things. you get really good in certain situations. You get really good in under pressure situations. Like I never feel pressure. Like, even if there's pressure, I don't feel pressure. And I also am very aware that what it does to my body, if I put the pressure on myself and I know how to act in certain situations that I know what to prioritize for me, but also for others around me, that it doesn't affect them too much, but you don't actually build the habits. And I think that's where I'm lacking. That's one, if, if I have to look at well, my weak, my strong suits and my weak sides, I think that's, that's what I wanted to more. So I have habits, but I don't feel like I have the habits that I want to have, but it's also due to the fact that I didn't know which direction I wanted to go in. And I think that's now become a little bit clear for me as well. So that in, that was the intervention you were talking about. Like. Yeah. So I intervened, I did an intervention on myself. I decided, listen, you need a direction to do something that brings all the that connects all the dots back together. And I've been talking about 10,000 for quite some time, but 10,000 is a very narrow kind of thing. And I well, you kept it broad to be fair. No, but it's like personal. It's like, yeah. and, and as we already discussed, it doesn't need, I need the external, the external validation as well. So. What I figured I would come up with is that if you would connect it to 10,000 US dollars, and if you could connect it to 10,000 people, 
So if we could get 10,000 people, or if I could get 10,000 people to earn 10,000 US dollars a year extra. That is uh, scaling the 10,000 up. And is that the direction you're going for? Yeah. I think that's great. It sounds great. And it's also going external motivator. Yeah. It's kind of external and internal. It's getting back to like, at least, at least reaching out to people, at least talking with others, like something that I'm used that I feed off, I get energy from, which I haven't been doing for the past two years because of COVID. And Mm -hmm. it, it kind of gives me the opportunity to at least go back to that first. And then second ideas, getting to that, to kind of doing something back, because I've realized that there are several roads, how I can help my country develop. And I've looked at those roads and they're like some big, big hurdles that don't fit my personality. So I had to find a way to like, okay, but how can I contribute to it? And also I needed the the confidence to be able to say that I could help 10,000 people earn 10,000 US dollars. That's also another thing. Where, where, at what point did you say you've reached that point of confidence? That epiphany, like, okay. Well, I don't think I necessarily had a moment in time that I was like, Hey, I can actually do this, but I think it did help that I reached the 10,000 K mark. That's uh, that personal goal. Crypto, with the yeah. crypto, the personal goal last year. So I think that makes it easier for me to say like, okay, this is something I can, yeah, if I could do it. And if I could do it and I'm all over the place, I bet 10,000 yeah. people can do it that are focused and dedicated and, and finding them. And if they're ready and those things, I mean, it doesn't matter. That, that's gonna, that's, uh, if you, if you bring it parallel back to the boot, that's gonna yeah. be the compounding flow part. Yeah. Like one, then two, and yeah. then compounds, it goes exponentially. Yeah. And hopefully it sticks by then. We, we, we took quite a tangent on atomic habits there. We, we can, we can talk. So it, it has, so first I have to probably explain where the 10,000 comes from. Yeah, the 10,000 hours of mastery. The 10,000 hour rule is a rule which has been kind of popularized by Malcolm Gladwell. And Malcolm Gladwell is saying like, if you spend 10,000 hours deliberate, I should say deliberate practice, because if you don't, you, you just count the hours, but you don't do anything, it doesn't work. But if you spend 10,000 hours in, on something, you become really good at it. And things that are really easy for you, or, or things that are really hard for others are really easy for you. So Suleta, for instance, if you're like an athlete and uh, you spend 10,000 hours on perfecting a certain skill in any kind of sport, it kind of comes natural to you and you can be better. Even if somebody's more talented, like they like to say that you, if you have done the 10,000 hours of deliberate practice, it will go better than if somebody else might have a better feel for it, but hasn't put in the work. And the best explanation I can give is sometimes, I don't know if you ever played sports against older people, like around forties or fifties, but older people that have played the sport for 20 years. So if you play basketball or tennis and you play against somebody else who's like 50 years old and they have a terrible technique, but they keep beating you just because they have the experience and build up a certain skill and they have perfected the skill so they can do it easier than you can. 
and it kind of is frustrating for you, but then you have to realize that you're just new to it, or you might have some talent and played a couple of years, but they have been doing it for 20 years. And for 20 years, that person has had the stroke in their tennis, their tennis game, the same forehand, which always scores a point, or they had the same jumper or shot they make with basketball. That shot's going to go in. It's going to look ugly. You're going to be like, how did it go in? But it's yes. consistent. But they it have is consistently consistent. done it for years and years and years. And basically it's the same with all kinds of skills. So basically the $10,000 came from there, kind of saying like, hey, I want to do 10,000 hours of something. I want to build a skill for $10,000. Is it Second, outlier? Malcolm Clare? Yeah, I think it's outlier. It's outliers. Yeah, it's yeah. outliers. So if you want to read, or if, if you fancy reading, I recommend reading outliers. Yeah, Malcolm, Malcolm, Malcolm Clare, outlier, outliers is a great, great book. The Tipping Point is a great book. Outliers is great. I would even recommend David and Goliath, I think. It's also, also pretty good. I haven't read the latest one, Talking to Strangers. I, I haven't read that one. But Outliers is definitely one of the, the, the interesting ones. It talks about the Beatles, talks about Kobe Bryant, the Williams sisters, explaining like how they kind of got so far. And of course, there, there are some loopholes in the theories, but it's a general, it's a good theory to, to, to start with. Also, which is interesting is I started changing the 10,000 and I started playing around with the 10,000. Saying like, how important would it be for me to have a following of the size of 10,000? Which funnily, when I put it as a target, I never even one day works towards that target. So I never actually tried to say like, okay, I'm going to get 10,000 connections on LinkedIn. I didn't even think this. It practice. wasn't deliberate practice. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I wasn't like, okay, I want to get 10,000 connections on LinkedIn. So every day from now on, I'm going to connect with 30 people. I was wondering why I didn't do that because it's actually quite easy to do. But the main reason I, I didn't do it is so also found is from Atomic Habits is like, if you just set a goal, you're going to reach the goal and you're going to be, and then, whereas if I'm now saying like, I want, 10, 000, I want 10,000 people to, to earn $10,000, then all of a sudden, in order for, to find 10,000 people to earn $10,000, I actually have to connect with people on LinkedIn. So I think that's also a good, a good way of looking at it. That is not necessarily the goal or the number that you want to have, but it's the idea on why you actually want to do that. Why is it important? And then you find out that there's actually something more important. And it's not about the actual the connection number or the following number, but it's actually about why is it important to you? And for me, it hasn't been important, but yeah, actually I have to put in the effort, but there was no reason for me as well, because once you're in your comfort zone and everything kind of goes and it goes and goes sideways and it goes and you're like, eh, okay. And then you, you don't, you don't have that fire anymore. So every month at the end of the month, you've reached your goals but you don't feel fulfillment or anything, which is kind of normal for our generation, I think. Mm -hmm. That, that is true. It is a yeah. common response. Like if, I, if I look back at it, is it a generational thing or is it more like societal? Don't, don't, don't answer that. We, we, I have don't no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. We don't want to philosophize on that. I have, I have done my research on that. <laughs> exactly. We will spend some 10,000 hours doing that research first before no. going into that rabbit hole. 
but having closed that point under 10,000, hope that makes sense. So Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell and the book we were mentioning was uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear for forming habits like the, the small changes that lead to exponential growth. And it's one of the books that I think applies first principles that you would be able to apply to a lot of things once you've, you know, understand the systems around it. So yeah, hope that helps. And we are over time, Shanluk. Do you still want to do some quick over-unders to uh, close it up or? Just, just one, just one each. Just one. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, I, I got a good one for since something happening this uh, Saturday for you guys. So overrated or underrated logos. Wow. Could you be more specific on logos? Like what the logo means for a company, how important is it for the branding? What logo design, let's, let's put it that, uh, that way. Oh, logo design is, is yeah. definitely at this point has become for me, it, it feels like it's become underrated. Underrated. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I think we've, we've gone full circle. It has been overrated for quite some time. And now it's like, people don't care anymore. A lot of companies, just local businesses, they don't even spend any, they have a general concept of what they want as a logo and they just don't care anymore. It doesn't care about the color the, the, they're like the only person, especially in, and this is especially for small businesses, like really small businesses. I feel like where, where the owner only decides mm -hmm. it's, it's. And that's what I find interesting about the process that we went to, because for those who are listening in, Diego actually, uh, designed something for, for my company and I can't reveal anything more than that at the moment, but there we saw the process and the importance of getting the whole team together and involving everybody and how much like one, just, just one meeting with the whole team kind of completely changed the perspective on on how we approach things and how we approach design. I think that's one of the most interesting. I, I probably will do a story on this, Diego. I probably will do a story on this maybe later this year or maybe next year on, on, on mm. the whole process. Curious about it. Because I think it's a very, very interesting process. And it might actually inspire others to, to more appreciate logo design in general. So definitely for me, it's, it's, it's underrated. Because yeah, it's kind of same with, with our company name. I was okay with the name that I had initially and the other partners were like, no way are we calling mm. that company this name. <laughs> I think and the same with the logo. I was kind of like accepting where we were with the logo and saying like, okay, this is good. And there were others saying like, no way <laughs> this logo is going to represent our company. So I think it's underrated. I'm going to give you an easy one. Going to bed before midnight. Hmm. This is not an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> this is not an easy one. Going to bed before midnight. I'd still put it or at this point in time, I'd put it under underrated still at one point I might've put it overrated, but having why would it be overrated? Just, just give us the both side of, of the story. Like why would going to bed before midnight be underrated? Why would it be overrated? Okay. So the, the overrated part is, uh, more on, you know, you personally as in, especially if you 
don't have a set working schedule, doing things yourself. For me, I tend to enjoy working when it's quiet. So it doesn't necessarily have to be at night, but usually it is nighttime that is the quietest and that you can focus. And that's when you uh, stay up later than 12, that is on the productivity side, but the other side is also entertainment, which is kind of can get detrimental for your, for your health. But why I say underrated, because it's for one year and this isn't necessarily before midnight for the whole year I was in New Zealand. I think for 90% of the time I went to bed before 11, even, even before 10. And this allowed me to get one enough sleep and also wake up earlier to do personal care. Basically you just wake up. So is it more difficult? Is it more difficult to do it in your general, your usual environment than to do it abroad, for instance? I think here, because I'm used to it, there's other things happening around. There's more elements of outside forces, external forces that kind of play a role in that, like getting online with friends, same time zone, etc. When I was in a totally new environment, totally different time zone, all of those things were eliminated. And you had, it was just you, the room and focusing on a certain set of goals. And that kind of showed me the strength of building that coming back to atomic habits, those system. And that system kind of worked for me throughout the year there to be productive actually. So would you want it back or are you saying like, no, I actually like the current situation more? It's, it's a toss up. Maybe for uh, a certain time, yes, but on the, on the flip side, given the schedules and parameters we have here, I don't think it would work as effective. Otherwise I'd have to, you know, put public announcements like, you know, do not disturb from <laughs> X hour to X hour. Maybe it just um, wouldn't work. People yeah, wouldn't, it, uh, wouldn't respect your systems. There, there's two more too much external forces that still, that I still care about at least here. That's the shortest way I could put it. So I'd say underrated, if you can really pull it off, then kudos. But at this point, I'm not be able to pull it off. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Awesome. So this has been a very different kind of episode of social convos. I actually made a commitment that I've never made. It's also not a commitment that's predicated on a certain time span, but it does give a certain direction of what I'm going to do. And of course that will also impact this episode, but also this conference podcast in general. So I want to leave it at that. Yeah, this has been a breath of fresh air. I'd say actually doing these every now and then, and, and we have done that. And every time that we do it, these kind of introspective episodes, we've kind of feel a layer deeper, I think for ourselves. So yeah, this is starting to become one of those small habits within convos. Okay. I'm going to start referring, stop referring to that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyways, thank you guys for tuning in. Um, This was a fun episode. We'll be back next week. We do have a guest scheduled for next week. So we'll have a new face 
to talk to again next week. Looking forward to that as well. And yeah, this episode will be released on the weekend. So as usual on the podcasting platform. So if you missed it or think someone would be interested in it, feel free to share. And with that being said, Shanluk, this was Social Gone Coast. See you back next time. Stay please. Stay time. Bye-bye.